2: That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 187 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast, the legend, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes and Stitcher and right on our own Facebook page at SWBeyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Herleman. And with me, like a new rec 10 edition on the Millennium Falcon, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuities, the birthday boy at the time of this recording, Mr. Nathan. P. Butler. There you go.
0: That's right. That's right. Thank you very much. And uh, I guess if I'm the new The Force Awakens rectinadish, then I can quote Huey Lewis and say it must be hip to be square or rectangular. One of my favorite artists, though, from the 80s. Whatever happened to Huey Lewis? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he became an L7 weenie yeah, you're right. It is my birthday today. I am 36 years old as we are recording this, but more importantly for those who are listening, what this means is that finally, I've got the new 2015 edition of the Star Wars Timeline Gold out as of when you are hearing this over at StarWarsFanWorks.com slash timeline. Uh, Lots of new expanded materials, especially from Story Group Canon. As of now, as we're recording this, I still got a few things to do to try to push that thing out by midnight, but my goal is... It will be out today, because today, since I don't know exactly when it was finished, the first one that went out to the public, I always say that because I knew it was in the back half of 1997, that I just put the anniversary on my birthday, and I just use that to count how many years the timeline's been around. Well, as of today, I'm 36, it is 18, meaning that today (laughs) is the mark where I have literally been doing the Star Wars timeline project for half of my life. Uh, so, kind of a big deal, even though 18 doesn't usually mean much when it comes to anniversaries for projects. In this case, uh, it's, it's kind of a big day as far as that goes, and I'm pretty excited to see it. I've also started into live-streaming some on my YouTube channel, did that with the Battlefront Beta, gonna be doing that more with Battlefront when it comes out, while I'm not bored with it, and, um, yeah, it's just kind of been a a busy time around here. Had some meetings to go to the last couple of weeks that have taken time away from being able to do anything with the timeline. Uh, injured myself through exercise. Injured myself by smashing my elbow into a podium. Um, uh, yeah, it's been a hectic and bizarre couple of weeks. But I'm glad we're finally be able to come back and deal with some feedback where maybe some of the bizarre won't be coming from us.
2: <laughs> I still, it, it blows my mind to think that you're only two years away from doing that for 20 Years, I mean that is a feat, my friend. Uh, I, I and I even remember seeing one of the comments on your Facebook page about you know, well, now that there's new, new canon, why are you even continuing? And I, I think it's very important that that you continue the project. I mean, even if you don't necessarily go into canon, I think the fact that you've done what you've done with Legends it creates such an opportunity for people, you know, a tool for people that want to learn about Legends to come in and and you know anything they want to know, it's there if you're willing to take the time to look for it. And the fact that you're. Continuing that with Legends. I think it's it's an invaluable tool that the fans that know how to use it are loving.
0: You know, it's funny because every so often on Facebook, I'll see a post from some website or another that someone is sharing that says, the complete new canon Star Wars timeline. And I'll look at their lists, and invariably, it's... No, it's not. No, it's not. You've left out the short stories, or you've left out this, or you've left out that. So, it's interesting that even now where it should be so easy to keep track of what is You know, part of canon and what stories are out there, the vast majority, it seems like, of sites that try to put information out there are skipping stuff. And granted, I'm sure I'll miss something here or there, but at least I'm making the effort to go out and find everything to make sure that it's included. But, I mean, the new canon's prose fiction started with Insider, and most of these lists aren't listing any of the Insider short stories, for instance. It's, It's an oddity.
2: Yeah, truly, I, that's the one because I'd shared one on the page and it was like missing all the the kids' books, the Ezra books, and the stuff based off of Rebels and all that stuff. And it's like that—it's all counting. Uh, it, it's been kind of fun how fast Canon's kind of grown in the the two and a half years or the year and a half that it's. uh been reset (laughs) i'm like wow i honestly it felt like it was starting out slow and then of course we had you know the force friday that really helped jump up the amount of books that are out there uh and and then the kids books i think there's just so many kids books coming at people that they're not expecting that like the uh the new versions of the original trilogy um they got different names but they do say them on the bottom but they're little hard covers a lot of young adult books out there that are coming out and Honestly, man, when I'm looking at them, they don't seem that different than any other hardcover book. So all they're doing is just really fleshing out the universe really fast. And I think that's kind of a cool aspect because, you know, we're used to just kind of only getting our books mainly from Del Rey and and like Wizards of the Coast, you know, your RPG type stuffs. But now we're getting them in a lot more formats and stuff. And I I think that's going to help the universe really kind of do a big bang.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be interesting when we get a chance to actually cover some of that stuff because – I think that those young adult books that people are sort of passing by, Weapon of the Jedi, Moving Target, Smuggler's Run, Lost Stars in particular, that came out on Force Friday because everybody's thinking of Aftermath, the quality level of those is pretty high and rather consistent relative to some of the other stuff that we've seen coming through uh, story group canon, and I would argue that the best story group canon novel that we have so far, uh, Dark Disciple has just been unseated on that throne by Lost Stars. But many people are going to not bother to read Lost Stars because, oh, well, it's just a young adult book. Well, it may be just a young adult book, but it's also the best story group canon novel we've gotten so far. Um mm-hmm. Having the same emotional impact on me by the time it was over as Dark Disciple did. So if you haven't read it, check it out. It's a good palate cleanser after the garbage that is Aftermath.
2: <laughs> yes, I will be cleaning out my palate indeed.
0: And I say that kind of jokingly. Uh, Aftermath has a lot of things wrong with it. I'm not sure that garbage is the right term for it. But it's certainly – it's going to be an interesting conversation when Mark and I have a chance to sit down and talk about it in the very near future here for the show.
2: True that. And, And I will point out that even places like Olive Garden have some tasty garbage. Well, here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we take a look once again at your emails and feedback. Once more, you're the star. Now consider this your spoiler warning beyonders and sentients of all ages, because here we go. Another adventure beyond the films.
0: I'm still trying to figure out the thing about Olive Garden, man. Um, <laughs> all right, so we've done feedback recently, and we covered a lot of feedback from a lot of different people. We also, though, had some folks who had written in or sent in audio clips that didn't get included because they either sent quite a few of them or it was a somewhat longer audio clip than others. So we wanted to include them in this episode. Hopefully we can fit them all in in one. It might wind up expanding beyond that. We're going to start with the ones that are text while my... Voice still holds, and then move on to the ones that are audio clips. So, we have a string of emails here from Andrew Gilbertson, who in the past wound up with his own feedback episode, as you may recall. So, Andrew says, kind of piggybacking off of the end of what we had seen previously uh, when we had a chance to discuss some of his feedback. He says, See, this is why you got so many emails before. Because I always think of the other thing I wanted to say just after I hit send. Doesn't have to be for a future show, you can use it if you like, and we are. Just thought you might appreciate this. On a drive yesterday, Sarah, that's his wife, asked me if it was possible to use dark side powers for good. This started a lengthy discussion that eventually ended up on the Potentium. We both agreed that as a mystical energy field created by all living things, having a dual branch of light and dark sides just doesn't make sense to us. If the Force has a will, does the dark side too? The schizophrenia just doesn't click for us. Rather, the idea that the force is the force, like a beam of light, and the user, like a prism, introduces the darkness or lightness into their manifestation of it by their choices, and likewise that anger or fear are not automatic dark side uses, because one can and should act in either at times for wholly correct reasons. Rather, they are simply states of mind that leave people far more predisposed to making morally wrong choices. This led me to my usual rant about how this view, to me, makes far more sense than the traditional view, and is even consistent with what Yoda teaches about the Force's nature in a way that his own words about the light and dark sides aren't, but that this view was so threatening to the Star Wars orthodoxy, I always say because it makes much more sense than what they're attached to from childhood, that they had to retcon Verger as a Sith and make Jason Solo go completely insane justifying his insane power trip with a ridiculous straw man version of the belief. If there is no light or dark inherent to the Force, then there's no light or dark, period, and thus no morality, and thus no right and wrong. And I can do anything, because heaven forbid that there's still morality and it just rests on my shoulders so that I can't pawn it off on the Force and say the dark side made me do it. It's my usual spiel, and I'm used to ranting about it, but this time, two things happen differently. One, I realize that this viewpoint essentially makes Verger into the franchise's Martin Luther, and Alston, Travis, and Denning into Pope Leo X. And two, Sarah realized for the first time that Mara Jade essentially died as a sacrificial victim to this massive potentium discredit movement. Based on her reaction, I suspect that Travis and Denning will want to avoid the Pennsylvania area for the remainder of their lives. Hope you two are having a great week. Andrew.
2: Boy there's some deep 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 conversation there. Yeah, we're not uh, we're not
0: starting shallow with
2: this episode. <laughs> yeah, we're jumping right in. Uh you know, and Andrew, I, I'm sure you're very aware of this, but for the other listeners out there that don't know, uh the problem he's bringing up here about the use of the dark side for good and you know, whether you can do it the potentium and all that stuff, that is one of the biggest core schisms between the EU and canon. Um, especially during the new Jedi Order and Verger said, you know, there is no dark side. That became like a running rally for, for basically legends now. Uh, at the time, the EU was kind of like, you know, hey, this is a really cool concept and it was really working. And yet there were fans of the films. And at this time, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of lean more of the original trilogy only fans, uh, they really hated that idea. Um, and so there was that aspect of, you know, well, the legends is doing that, and and there's this there's this gray area that they're playing with, and that shouldn't be there. It should be flat out black and white. And so there was that huge schism there that kind of started out of this. And that whole retconning of Vergere's background to make her a Sith. I always felt like that was their way to bring it back to the Lucasism of, you know, there is a light, there is a dark, and the dark side will corrupt you. Uh And I don't know, I was kind of okay with the way they did it because I felt like even though they did it the way they did, it, it needs some more background on why they decided to make Vergere go a Sith because you could still say that Lamaya was was totally lying out of her butt. Uh, You know, there is still room for that argument, but knowing more about what Verger's points were why she was doing what she was doing with Jason and those things, I think, could, could make it work better because I felt like what Verger was trying to say, that point is valid. But what they're trying to say about Lucas is also valid because it's almost like those tainted locations, right? So you use the dark side of the force, you create this, this Nexus, you know, this place where your force use has now created a permanent vortex. Uh The Jedi Apprentice series had Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon Jinn. They go to a planet where a holocron had done this to the planet just by being on the planet. And in the presence of that taint, it was infecting Obi-Wan and. Qui-Gon's reactions not just to their surroundings not just to their problems but to each other they were basically for all intents and purposes becoming dicks to each other because of the way the force was influencing them and so once you create this nexus in the force with your dark side use you now have a place that is going to affect other force users this is that that George Lucas big bad that George was talking about you know you don't want to go near there the force you know it's trying to corrupt you well it wasn't that the force was trying to do it. A person created that nexus. Now that nexus exists and now that is going to influence these people. So in a sense, it is both, you know, yeah, there was no dark side that was going to corrupt until a person created it. Now that they've created it, now there is a place out there where the dark side will corrupt you. So it was a really roundabout way to kind of try to once again, bring back things to the way that a lot of people felt like, well, it's not lining up with the films anymore. Uh, But I, I felt like by the way they did it, they, they left a lot of the details out. So a lot of us were kind of like, well, that doesn't quite jive. And it really, it doesn't jive with the whole aspect of Vajer being a Sith. Cause it's like, well, wait, all of this was just so Jason would follow the dark side. Like that cheapened a lot of really good storytelling. Uh, You know, I mean the new Jedi order, it was going to put Anakin, as the main star, Anakin was going to become the Jason role, but Lucas was the one that was like, well, no, you know, we got two Anakins out there. We want to kind of ratchet back the one, you know, we want to focus on Anakin Skywalker. We don't want people getting confused with Solo. And that changed the direction of the story from that point forward. They had a really good concept going and Lucas threw them a little wrench and then they started to do that little shuffle that they did. And we got what we got. You know, there's a lot of people out there going, well, You know, these new canon books are great. And the old EU, the last five years, it was it was really crappy. And they act like, you know, like like the process has changed, like all these new books aren't being written with the same people in charge as the last six years of the EU. And it's like, well, now we've got the story group. So hopefully there won't be wrenches in the way that the people that were planning the stories were tripping over. Because every time they tripped over some new change that Lucas did, Lucas wasn't part of that all-encompassing view of trying to make the EU work. And so you had those little moments where it didn't quite line up. And of course the canon answers didn't care to make it line up because they were like, well, it's Georgia's story. It's not the EU story. So there was always that divide. And that I think that's why we never got that background answer because at the end of the day, it was a problem more so on lining up legends with canon than it was getting the two to work together.
0: Yeah, I've always liked the idea of it being somewhat ambiguous, whether there is a dark side and light side, or whether it is just one force and it's about your intentions, because it does leave some level of being able to say, well, something is the will of the force, or some, some sense that there's like a guiding higher power, but at the same time, it doesn't completely remove the morality from the individual. It's, uh, to me, it seems more like, An individual can choose to use the Force in a light or dark way, and it's their intentions that make the difference in what they're sort of tapping into or dipping into. But once you start dipping into that, you're more likely to be tainted by whatever it is. Um, But, I, I mean, it's kind of the same type of thing that we see in a lot of modern religions and religions as they've developed, right? The question of, is it about your intention or is it about a higher power? Is it about morality that is absolute? Is it about subjective morality? Is it about morality that is incumbent on you to follow? Or is it some form of predestination where if you're going to make a mistake or do something immoral, well, it was always fated to be, so it's really not your decision to do it, and so on and so on and so on. Um To me, that's always been something very fascinating about real-life religion, and it's interesting that they finally brought that into Star Wars. Star Wars stopped being something that was so black and white. And I don't mean black and white as in light and dark side. I mean black and white as in this is how the Force is. It's not some other way. And they start adding in the thing that we do in real life, which is starting to question different faith traditions and look for different ways. As you were saying, Andrew, kind of like the Martin Luther type figure— uh, in breaking away from the Catholic Church. For those who are not familiar, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King. My students always used to add King to that and drove me nuts because they just assumed that he must be Martin Luther King. And and are they related, Martin Luther and Martin Luther King? Well, given that their last names are King and Luther, no! Although there is a a naming convention, Martin Luther King's dad, renaming himself after Martin Luther after being born Michael King. Anyway... um. I find just the whole thing fascinating where you really have this idea of, of can you break away from a Force tradition? You can. We've seen people try to break away from the Jedi like Kip Duran for differences of strategy. What mm-hmm. about differences of Force tradition? And we see that at different points within Legends. Now we haven't really seen that within canon. It'll be curious to see if they pick up and run with it in any of those directions. But I always find that being willing to dig deeper into questions like that is more interesting than trying to just stay with
2: one tried and true interpretation of whatever it might be. Yeah, you yeah, your Grey Paladins, the Fallen Nazi, uh, the aspect of the black and white like you're talking about. Force lightning is a great example of that. You know, Clune uh, uh, used Force Judgment. Jason and Luke eventually used their green lightning that neutralized people uh but that was one of those key debates was some people it was like no force lightning is inherently a dark side you can't you can't be messing with that uh corran horn and i jedi he used fear against his enemies in a way that was a light side way if you had something to fear because you were being bad you were going to be fearing him i mean he was he was you know the 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 term of putting a good fear of god in you kind of thing he used it in that regard um you know there there's some awesome angles of the will of the force that that i think canon kind of avoids like, you know, they talk about the will of the force and that's about as far as they ever really go in canon and legends would kind of start to give you more of a feel for those things. Uh, you know, like what exactly is the will? Is it a nudge? Is it like, you know, a, a strong sense. And, and one of the questions about the will that I've always had is that aspect of, you know, well, what if the will wants, you know, two individuals go up head to head, but the will of the force wants them both to survive. How would that play out? You know, I mean, if, The will of the force wants the Sith to win, for example. I mean, you know, you're like, what's driving that? And that was always something that I was curious about. And then when we have new movies coming down the line, like the force awakens, you know, there's been an awakening. Have you felt it like, oh, wait, what's waking up? You know, the force, the force awakens. What the heck does that mean? Well, the force has a will and it can wake up. Hmm. Mm Hmm. I mean, and that's an angle that I I would really dig on. Uh, One of the things that that goes around in my mind, and it's nothing that, you know, nothing that anyone at Del Rey or anyone in the story group seems to be caring about, aside from like one little thing about, hey, look, we made Kanan's lightsaber flicker like Luke's in A New Hope. But that lightsaber flicker is one of those things that I hope they tie into the will of the force or the force having some kind of a will or manifestation of itself. Because – When they have them in the original trilogy, they're flickering because that was the way they made them. Then they go back in the prequel trilogy, they make them solid and you're like, okay, well time, you know, time goes on and they flicker. Well, if it's a battery thing, okay, if their batteries are slightly drained over time and that's why they're flickering, why not just recharge the battery? That would make sense. Now, if the flicker has something to do with the Jedi's connection to the force, The flickering would make more sense. Well, maybe there's less Jedi or maybe the Jedi that that lightsaber was attuned to is dead. And so that's why he's flickering, although that wouldn't necessarily make sense with Luke because Anakin was still alive just as Vader. But – If there was a force connection and maybe because there weren't so many Jedi that the force's connection to the light side had grown weaker or something. And that was why it was flickering or, you know, something along those lines that there was something that had to do with the will of the force and the force itself. You know, when the force is strong, your lightsaber blade grows strong or something like that. But I don't think they're ever going to play with that because again, those bigger questions seem to be the things that legends always played with more. Now that legends has been moved to the side and all the new books and stuff coming out are canon. Will those new books and stuff play with those kind of themes? I'm not necessarily as sure that they will, and I don't think that that's necessarily a problem. I'm okay with leaving those concepts with Legends. It would be nice if they hashtag continue Legends someday, but I'm okay with leaving those in that other one because I appreciated Legends all that much more for dealing in those gray areas. So basically, where there's a will of the Force, there's a way to
0: retcon. Although I do like the way that the Force was handled in Lost Stars. Lost Stars is sort of a Romeo and Juliet star-crossed lovers kind of thing for two characters who wind up on opposite sides of the Galactic Civil War. And they talk about how, like, one of the characters believes in the Force, not necessarily as a religious belief, but believes it as part of their traditions as a culture. And then... The other one is very skeptical about it, but these characters keep being drawn back together by circumstances, and you see the development of this idea of one of the characters starting to really wonder, well, maybe the Force does exist, because how could you explain something like this of, of fate or destiny or whatever by the time the story is over? And we get some interesting thought processes uh, behind that. Personally, I think, just kind of on the that note of Jason Solo that Mark mentioned, remember what basically happened was that we had the mechanically inclined Anakin plan to be the one that falls to the dark side, and instead they made it Jason, the one who was all touchy-feely with the animals. I think that the change was less about the name Anakin being confusing for people, and more of George Lucas wanting to say, Screw you, PETA! <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was a long setup for a bad joke. Okay, moving on. Uh, we have another here from Andrew. This one actually, oddly enough, is Divided. He's got a little bit to me, a little bit to Mark. Interesting. So starting out with this one, we'll hit both sides of it. First he says, Nathan, I really appreciate your sadly accurate analysis of religion and its public perception, as well as its potential relationship to the have a rational explanation for the force issue, as well as your continued criticism of the absurd Black Widow issue that is with Age of Ultron. And yeah. The misery that is theater-going in this smartphone-addicted, self-centered modern culture. During Age of Ultron, I had to ask the person in front of me to stop pulling out her phone to check Facebook because it kept blinding me. And we also had multiple silence your cell phones ads. So, we're three for three on Avengers phone interruptions. Sarah was pointing out the other day that please turn off your cell phone ads still emphasize the sound aspect. And wondered if the message of also, it's really bright and distracting, was not getting out there as to why people don't realize it's a problem. Or if they're just too selfish to care. Either way, if you can't step away from Facebook or Pinterest for two to three hours, then why are you bothering to see a movie? We need ushers in theaters again to throw people out, huh? Likewise... I agree about the sad rarity of that kind of experience. It sometimes exists for big-screen classic screenings where an old movie is shown and the only crowd is composed of older enthusiasts of that movie. Though I couldn't tell if I don't think it exists anymore was an intentional A New Hope reference or not. I was expecting it died about the same time as your father. And in terms of your view on politics and teaching, amen, sir, we need more teachers like you in the world. Mark, I also appreciate your analysis of the movie trends and your distaste for the avatar with the big blue things and what it did with 3D. The distaste I share. I can also empathize in terms of politics. I tend to be very political, so not that part so much, but the family background. My dad's family and I are very conservative, while my mom's family tends to be very liberal, making us, including my mom who is also of a conservative bent, while not exactly black sheep, still forced to be very careful in conversation while recent more left-leaning branches of my dad's family have caused some tensions going after the conservative mainline branch of the family. All of which is why I try to be less political these days, very difficult in a climate increasingly hostile to my beliefs, such as Nathan described in his midichlorian analysis, because politics can be so divisive, especially within families. Andrew.
2: Oh, amen on that one, man. That's uh, I'm constantly like, wow, like... I learn new things from my friends all the time, um, you know, not just facts, but also their opinions. I'm like, oh, OK, you think that direction. All right. OK, yeah, I'm down with that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing for me is that family angle. Like it's just there's so many different ways that people interpret things and the way that people think things should be. And, you know, when it comes to that, I think. Religion, abortion, uh, there was one other topic. there was like three things I never talked about with family or new friends. you know I was like <laughs> we're just not gonna go there because this probably won't end well and and You know, I try to be one of those all-encompassing and and at least try to understand where everyone's coming from. And most of the times when I have those type of conversations with people, the other side is not so open. They're usually like, you know, I'm Genghis Khan and they're going to war and they're going to hit me hard. And I'm like, uh, dude, I was just having a friendly little chat, man. I didn't know this was a debate like – we were we were both over here like going to war over these, like I don't care that much about this. <laughs> and I I mean that's where I end up coming from. It's like I'm so out of it that I'm not really paying attention to, you know, the finer details and stuff like that. And in a world of Facebook where everybody's sharing these clickbait titles and everyone's got an agenda spin on any kind of five sentence words being re put up as a meme and stuff, it's it's really hard to, you know, like an idea that's presented and then share it and then have everybody go, Oh, it says it's some occupied Democrat post. You just I was like, well, I just thought that was a really cool idea. I didn't realize that. Yeah. It was coming from some right wing or left wing political group that has an agenda. And, and I guess that's for me at the end of the day, it's like everybody has an agenda. So I just don't trust anyone when it comes to politics anymore. <laughs>
1: yes.
0: Yeah, the politics thing, I think it was funny. Like I'm to the point where I'm so cynical about both sides. And what they say about each other and how it's completely off the mark most of the time that I just, I find myself sort of talking back to the debates. You know, (laughs) my wife and I, we streamed and watched uh, the Republican debates and I was talking back to that and then I caught the first half before I got a chance to watch it all when I got home, I caught the first half of the recent Democrat debate while I was making a commute back and forth to one of those meetings, you know, that put 300 miles on my car for three meetings. Um and I I'm literally laughing out loud or being like, What? while I'm driving in the car to some of the stuff that was being said and it's just it everything is so over the top. Uh I just I'm waiting for this political cycle to give us two nominees. Cause right now we've got that conventional wisdom out the window, right? Because remember conservatives, the Republicans, they're the ones that are the racists and the sexist. It's the the Democrats that are all inclusive, except who are the Democratic candidates? A bunch of old white folks, one of which is a woman, most of which are men. Um who are the Republican candidates. Well, among the many that are up there, there's a black man, there's two Hispanics, there's a woman, and so on and so on. Um, I want to see a a general election where it's maybe it's Carly Fiorina or Ben Carson or Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz or whoever, Bobby Jindal, an Indian American, as in India, Indian, um, against Hillary Clinton. Because I want to see in an atmosphere like that, can you still hurl around? well, your side is racist, that's why you don't agree, or your side is sexist, that's why you don't agree, kind of BS in an environment like that. My guess is, yes, you probably still can. It'll just be more ridiculous than it even was before. Um, mm-hmm. As for the movie theater-going experience, which is the bulk of what he said to me there, um, yeah. But honestly, I'm not even as bothered right now by the bright lights of the phones, because I think it's kind of like a gradual step-by-step process. I think the first step is we get people to turn off the phones, Turning off the, or, or at least turn off the sound. Turning off the light comes later, but I think the middle step is getting people to realize the reason your phone is supposed to be on silent is so that it's not loud. So if it vibrates in your pocket and doesn't ring, you defeat the purpose of turning it on vibrate if you then pick it up and go, yeah, Shaniqua, I'm watching a movie. Shut the fuck up. Take your phone and get the fuck out of my theater, <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. We got to get people to realize that the reason it's on silent is so that it's silent, not just so that that side is silent and they can be as loud as they want. Um, <laughs> and I know I'm going to hear a uh, that was a stereotype thing in, in the way that I use that example. But when I went to see I think it was one of the Harry Potter movies, the person behind me literally picked up the phone and recognized the person on the other end by saying, hey, Shaniqua. And I almost crapped my pants.
2: oh man but see Andrew I'm with you on the screens though Uh, you know I think the biggest issue I had with screens wasn't at a theater it was at one of my daughter's dance performances but they did the same thing they're like don't have your cameras out and they were saying you know the the bright screens are distracting and everyone's here to watch the dancers on on the stage you know and that's the thing, you know, common courtesy is lost. It is just not being taught to a lot of people anymore. Uh you know, and those generations have grown up and have had kids and grandkids now because most of them have lost their morals and so they're knocking up their the kids are getting knocked up at the age of 13. So you've got these young great grandparents out there that <laughs> three generations of people that just have no Concept of what it's like to be polite and to care about your fellow man. I mean, that's that's where I fear the most is going into The Force Awakens and have somebody ruin the experience, because when I watched Revenge of the Sith, I love that movie. But when we get to Palpatine's reveal and he starts talking like this, when he's got the little butt head thing going on. There was about five teenage girls in the back of the theater and they're giggling, squealing, poking fun at Palpatine was so distracting that my, I mean, my wife started to get pissed off. And of course, you know, when you're in the theater with your wife and your wife's getting pissed and wants to take out the teenagers in the back, you're like, now you've got an issue that you've got to deescalate. These poor teenagers in the back don't even realize how close they are to imminent death. <laughs> it's like, Why? Because you're just young and you want to be funny. Not the time to be funny. You're watching a movie. You know, laugh at it, move on. You don't just sit there and keep cracking jokes. And the screens on your phone are, are just as bad as that kind of thing. It's just, it's just a complete etiquette and protocol lacking. Yep. Yet another reason why I say, you know what? Charges,
0: hell, charges double what you would charge us for a Blu-ray or a DVD. I don't care, but give us the option to watch new release movies streaming at home. You're going to still get the money. People who want to go to the theater will go to the theater, but those who avoid going to see movies because a the theater experience sucks will start funding your movies again instead of waiting for home video. Um, Alright, so moving into the next burst here from Andrew, again, trying to hit these kind of burst after burst after burst. He says, Hey guys, Just a question. I already knew about the minimal Revenge of the Sith changes, from wipe to straight cut to wipe, on the various home media versions, but I thought I saw, might be another urban legend, that in one shot with Yoda on Kashyyyk, the rooftop of the hut behind him is slightly altered. Also, as per Wikipedia, yeah, who knows their reliability, there were slight audio changes in Revenge of the Sith altering Vader's, no, slightly on the DVD, and adding some trooper dialogue to the background soundtrack when the troopers arrive to break things up on Utapau. Not sure if any of these are true, but in terms of listing changes between versions, I thought they were potentially notable. Also, having listened to the digital HD fanfare butchering the end credits of The Empire Strikes Back, yeah, that's terrible. Lastly, you talked about the idea of a high-capacity disc with all the versions of the films you could click between, I had thought of something similar, based on the modular Build a Lightsaber at Star Tours and the only Disney music kiosks where you could select a CD's worth of custom music tracks from Disneyland and then have a disc burn. A Disney custom kiosk, perhaps at Star Tours, where, for an exorbitant price to make it worth their while, I'm sure, you can assemble a custom cut of the films and burn it to a disc for you. You have selected Special Edition Wampa. Clive Revel Palpatine, Special Edition Cloud City Interiors, Jeremy Bullock Boba Fett voice, no shuttle arrival scene, no Luke Scream during Shoutfall, all other options set to Blu-ray version default. Burn disc, yes or no? Seems to me with as many different versions of Star Wars as there are, it'd be the only way to really satisfy some fans anyhow. Like me, for instance. Who could choose a Patchwork, A New Hope, Special Edition The Empire Strikes Back, Theatrical Return of the Jedi... Blu-ray, The Phantom Menace, and Revenge of the Sith, and choosing to forget that Attack of the Clones ever existed. Anyhow, I'm sure it'll never happen, but I think that would be cool. A playlist on a 4K disc with multiple copies of the film achieving the same thing, custom playthrough versions mixing and matching various editions, would work just as well. And while I don't see it as likely, I think that's at least more possible than my idea. Andrew.
2: That is a cool idea, though. I mean, <laughs> I'm totally down for that. I think that'd be fun. I think, I think that is the best way to satisfy the most fans out there. Uh, or have something where like you put in a bonus disc and it takes you to a website where all that stuff's activated where you need the disc as a code or something to get in, or uh, I'm not really sure the, the logistics of that, but. An online location where you could go to get to the links to all the different things. Like, oh, I want to see this video or I want to see that version or, you know, maybe a, even like a checklist box where you could just pick the scenes. But no, I think that the custom disc burner idea probably would be the the funnest one. Um, but then again, I think if you did something like that, you'd might want to put in a tracking tool because I'd be very interested to see what kind of versions the most people are after, you know, like.
0: Okay. But yeah, I, you're right. I think
2: that. The ability to actually choose
0: between them would be awesome. I can't see it ever actually happening unless it's you know entirely streaming or something. Something where uh, the production costs, I guess, of putting the discs together wouldn't be as big of a deal. But I think that's kind of the same thing with really uh, anything. The, the better we can stream, the more we can stream, and the cheaper they can make it, the more content that they can offer. So maybe someday in the future, but that assumes that Disney breaks away from Lucas's line of, well, only the newest version is the real one. There's all that talk about how Disney is planning on re-releasing the original versions of the original trilogy. If that happens, I see that as more possible. But until something like that happens, right now we're looking at this still, this whole mindset of the newest version is the only version. And I... It's just like Lucas with the holiday special. It's like until they acknowledge that something exists or could exist or should exist, they're not gonna put it out there for us, I wouldn't expect, unfortunately. hmm That brings us to a very short one here from Andrew. Stop hating on the Chevin. They're awesome. I put them in the top five Jabba's Palace aliens, who are, incidentally, way underused. And I hope Rebels does more with races like the Euvernians, Yarkona, Clotuinians, Ortolans, Bargawins, and yes, Chevin. Sit on your own tongue, man. But, yeah, squibs are the worst.
2: (laughs) They're just weird. I can't get around the weird, like, they're almost like an elephant. Like... A two-legged, four-legged elephant because he's so big and his jaw hangs down so long that he actually looks like he's walking on four legs even though it's two. Like, I don't – this is a weird design, man. I just can't get behind it.
0: (laughs) U-G-L-Y. He ain't got no alibi. He ugly. Oh, oh, he ugly. Yeah, Chevin, you're just weird looking to me. But okay, Yeah, I do agree that we should see more use of some of the later – alien species seems like they use the alien species that we saw in a new hope a lot more than the species we see everywhere else as for the squibs may they lay dead dying (laughs) and writhing in pain on the cutting room floor as we move from legends to canon
2: um but hey that's racist see now what i want to see i want to see at some point a tuscan and a jawa I want to see them without their masks and their hoods on. I want to see what's under the hood. I want to see what's behind the mask. I want to be a little scared.
0: (laughs) I just hope that canon brings over the whole Kamunga thing where the one race eventually became the Jawas and the Tusken Raiders. And they hinted at something kind of like that in – I think it was the uh, Star Wars uh, Absolutely Everything blah, blah, blah book. Oh, really? But I don't think they've actually – confirmed anything like that they're leaving it very vague though i would love to see that backstory come back because i always thought that was kind of cool
2: yeah that actually was fun especially when uh was it uh, dawn of the jedi kind of played with it for like a, a small minute like i think they're the ones that confirm the alien race that they eventually came from <laughs>
0: another quick one from andrew perhaps vader can't use force lightning for the same reason luke couldn't in return of the jedi because he was never taught how to do so Or perhaps he completely can, but simply doesn't employ that as one of his typical battle tactics. Or perhaps, if one must acknowledge the prequels, his words, not mine, having been on the receiving end from Dooku and everything bad that happened as a result of his failure to stop Dooku then, and having seen how easily it could be turned back on Palpatine, he just avoids that thing like the play because he considers it dishonorable slash dangerous slash
2: a liability. That's a good point with the whole Sidious and Mace. I... Actually, that angle is probably the best one to shut my mind up. (laughs) Like, hey, that makes sense. Yeah, you watched Mace just (laughs) ricochet it all back and it torched the hell out of Palpatine. Yeah, maybe you don't want to use that one. There are plenty of reasons why Vader could do it, but doesn't. But I do think that that one probably makes the most sense character-wise. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they ever let him
0: use it in canon. So far, not so much, I don't believe, but... You know, the rules are out the window. They can do what they want to do now and give it some kind of canonical backing. Although I guess that then turns around and makes him think, well, maybe he just thinks that Luke is more skilled with the lightsaber than he is and thinks that Luke's going to catch it on the lightsaber like they could do in the prequels. But we didn't get a chance to see happen in the original trilogy because by the time Palpatine was all in Luke, Luke didn't have his lightsaber on him anyway because he'd
2: thrown it away. Well, see, I'd be OK with the angle of, you know, when he uses it, he's blowing up the arm kind of thing. Like, you know, he channels it down the stump and when it gets to the stump, anything that's beyond that is just being blown away by the force lightning as it blasts out his body. So this would allow you an opportunity when he uses it to give Vader a whole new arm or whatever body part gets blown off. Although I don't see anybody using force lightning out their toes, but
0: <laughs> well, maybe he could do um. Maybe he could do like Pyro in – I don't know which incarnation of X-Men. I'm just thinking of the old 90s X-Men cartoon where maybe he doesn't generate the lightning within himself, but he has something built into his gauntlet that generates
2: lightning and then he uses the force to control its path or something. And that could be – well, especially if you take into consideration the new Marvel comics where you had those new acolytes that were using technology in that way because they were using flame in that regard. You could do something similar with lightning in that um, – But yeah, that's that's an angle like because I think of that whole, uh, you know, he's more machine now than than human, you know, and and how that could play out. I mean, yeah, Kenobi knows that he's missing his arms and his legs. But what if, you know, his use of the dark side caused him to lose even more over time? I, I think that that's a cool little twist.
0: Another quick one from Andrew. This one sort of ties into something we've talked about before, so we won't address it quite as much. But we may be able to make a comparison to what's happening in Star Wars with this one. He says. I can strongly empathize about the wish to discuss the nuances of political issues and getting aggravated with the inability to discuss because of charged topics. I've had any number of discussions like that and of the sheer illogic of certain legal situations that have driven me nuts because I know that no civil conversation could be had about them. I think that was probably the first casualty for me in a long chain of causality that eventually led to pretty much getting off meme book. I mean, political book. I mean, Facebook. Things are just way too saturated in politics, which are themselves too saturated in emotion for rational discussion. I kind of feel like this is the way social issue politics are going nowadays, though. They are ramrodded through with shaky reasoning at best, and any attempt at debate or questioning of the tactics, reasoning, or methodology is drowned out in a sea of howling vitriol and accusations of intolerance, which provides enough of a smokescreen for the issue to be shoved through into law without ever having been rationally evaluated. I really rather hope the trend can be overcome, but... I don't think that's the direction society is leaning in. It's a shame, though. Going to see your political post backlog, Nathan, was one of the few highlights whenever I got back onto Facebook for the day. P.S. Yeah, I knew exactly what you meant by hello in TV land. Good times.
2: Yeah, we live in a knee-jerk society for sure. Uh You know, and it's funny, too, how different topics are charged for different reasons. I mean, you know, take legends, you know, there, there are fans out there that like me that want legends to continue. And then you have those out there that are being militant about it. And then you've got fans that were on the fence that because of that militant group, they're like, okay, I'm done with all you legends fans. And now they're just, you know, they're not even willing to talk to somebody that might be sane like myself, maybe.
0: Yeah. And I don't even think it's limited. Like you're saying to social issues, it's everything. Um, We are in a society and just modern culture in general that is very much focused on instant gratification, very much focused mm-hmm. on uh, social media, and you, know, you don't really have to know anything about a topic before you start blabbing about it, uh, where you don't really need a skill to become famous. Kardashians, Kardashians. Um So it, it's sort of an, a very egotistical society, I suppose. You have to actually choose to reach out beyond yourself to help others and and to be kind to others and such. So – It's sort of this, everybody's like their own little tribe in and of themselves. (laughs) And we're battling for validation of whatever we think, whether it's right or wrong, whether it makes sense or not, it's less about the rationality of the issue. It's more about my side must win. I must win. I think that's where a lot of the Star Wars clashes have been coming recently, as Mark was saying, between the legends and canon and and continual legends and don't continual legends and all this kind of stuff, we need to be able to step back and realize that as uh, as Matthew West in a song that really kind of helped put things in perspective for me a while back uh, says, uh, "My own little world is not about me."
2: Man, and that was where I was going to go was with that me angle because a lot of people when they're posting online and stuff, they'll throw in the, you know the to me or you know, hey guys, it's no big deal to me, you know, and and therefore it's just my opinion, and my opinion can't be wrong because it's my opinion. Uh, And I think when people start coming at it from that, you're never going to get around it because then you get those type of individuals that they're just like, it's my way or the highway. It's my opinion and my opinion is the opposite of yours and you're wrong. And that gets back to that whole aspect of intellectual honesty. You cannot have a conversation with somebody that is going to refuse to see the value in being critical of something or – the value in looking at it from a a different point of view, trying to understand it better. Um, You know, sometimes you try to explain to somebody, you know, the people that sit there and talk about how the last five to 10 years of the EU was crap, but can sit there in the same breath and go on about how these new books coming out are everything that they've ever wanted, how aftermath was the book that they've been waiting for their whole lives. Wait, what? The people behind the new canon are the same people that were behind what you were getting for the last five to 10 years. You know, they haven't told us that the story group's doing some miraculous new process. It's still the same show being ran behind the curtains by the same individuals that were being paid to run the last show. So if you thought the last 10 to five year or five to 10 years was crap, you've pretty much told us that that you're expecting the next five to ten years to put out just as much crap because nothing has changed aside from the fact that they have moved Legends off on its own as its own universe. The same people behind hiring the authors and throwing those authors the ideas are still in charge. So nothing has changed on that end. So if you thought that the EU sucked for the last five to ten years, but you think the new canon is just all nothing but... Awesomeness and and sunshine and Midas's touch, everything is gold. Where is your intellectual honesty? How can you not understand that eventually the issues that arose with legends are going to happen again if they don't change some of the behaviors? One of those is writing a book and not knowing where in the hell it's set in the timeline. If you're giving an author a book to write, who, what? When, where, how, when is important <laughs> people that don't think that's importance and can sit there and talk about how the EU's last five to 10 years were crap and not understand that that being non-important to them is why it was crap. That, that whole hurdle that they would have to trip over those little issues that came down that they would have to then retcon oh yeah the legends suck because all those retcons well that's because people got following along you, if you don't have all that information out there you're going to make those types of mistakes and we've already got some of those behaviors continuing in canon so yeah you know i'm one of those that i'll point those out because it's like hey you know i liked legends but there are a lot of fans out there that tell me how crappy legends was and yet I'm seeing the same thing that made Legends crappy to them happening right now, and it's just a matter of time before a book comes out and they're like, "Yep, that's crap." What's going on? It's crap. Like, when is that going to shift? When are they going to realize that nothing has really changed except for the Legends got put off to the side?
0: A few things to this. Um, one, let's keep in mind when you're out there in discussion online, folks, that. Yes, everyone can have their opinion, and an opinion, because it is an opinion, cannot be wrong per se. However, if your opinion is based on false information or incorrect facts, then yes, your opinion, or at least its foundations, can be wrong. If your opinion is that President Obama shouldn't be president because he was born in Kenya, you are wrong it doesn't matter if it's your it's just my opinion he shouldn't be president yeah but you're basing that opinion on false information you are not intellectually honest shut up and get your (laughs) straight oh and i'm adding more bleeps for mark to have to put in (laughs) um second thing We're talking about how, you know, if you keep track of time, things won't get as messy within the new continuity as it was previously. And right now we are starting to see a lot of stories piling up in that era right after A New Hope. Um, you've got Weapon of a Jedi, you've got Heir to the Jedi, you've got the Star Wars series, you've got Darth Vader, and so on and so on, you've got Princess Leia, and uh, the, the, the Moving Target, and so on, all these different, or I guess Moving Target, not so much, Smuggler's Run, yes, all these types of books, and it's already starting to be a little bit of a struggle to figure out when they take place relative to each other, and we have to look for clues like, well, has Luke heard Ben's voice in the Force yet, or not? Does he know that Darth Vader survived the Death Star, or not, and things like that. That's getting tricky. I actually find that the era, as I was working on the new edition of the Star Wars Timeline Gold, the era where, oddly enough, it seems like we have a lot of stuff coming together and crossing over that so far can be kept straight, but mostly because the characters aren't interacting, they're just all happening at the same time, is during Return of the Jedi. There are a ton of stories now taking place with at least part of their stories during the Battle of Endor. And that can get real messy, real fast. You'll see that if you pick up the new edition of the Star Wars Timeline Gold over it. Again, StarWarsFanWars.com slash timeline if you haven't looked in a while. Um, but that is a huge jam-packed era. Short stories, comics, flashbacks in novels. Uh, novels with a full chunk of their story taking place in it. There's a lot of stuff, and that can get real messy, real fast. I can only hope that they're keeping track of it. Um, as for the intellectual honesty thing... Uh, had somebody, and I, I can't remember if I mentioned this on the show before, but it bears repeating. Had somebody who I know is a listener to the show, uh, who's a big fan of the show, and likes to reference the show. At one point recently saying that in the, the interest of intellectual honesty in this person's reviews and discussions of things, they are never going to say anything negative. They are never going to criticize, because criticizing would not be intellectually honest. Let me roll that back. That is the exact opposite of intellectual honesty. Intellectual honesty is being able to step back, take an uh, objective look at something, and look at what's good, what's bad, to discuss in some detail and some depth about the, and some depth, excuse me, about the reality of what is going on in that thing. Nothing, more than likely, will be perfect. You can find negatives even in something overwhelmingly positive and vice versa but it needs to be a realistic, honest appraisal. Saying up front that you're not going to do any criticizing or look for anything that could possibly be negative means it's all going to be lollipops and rainbows, and that is not intellectually honest. It's somewhat intellectually honest to tell people up front what to expect and that that's why you don't have the negatives in it. But from a broader perspective of intellectual honesty and reviewing and discussion, yeah, you've just thrown the idea of intellectual honesty completely out the window. Um... I found it shocking that that was how Intellectual Honesty was cited and used with this show being cited as where the idea was being discussed because that sure as hell isn't what Intellectual Honesty actually is. Um, mm-hmm. Saw this recently within the Star Wars community. Um, Jeff who who is a listener to this show, uh, when we were discussing the Battlefront beta, one of his comments was that it is – I think this is a perfect depiction of the beta of Battlefront. That it was the best-looking, laziest game in years. Because, and we'll talk about this when we talk more about Battlefront later. But in a lot of ways, that pins it down. It's graphically gorgeous, but it's got a lot of drawbacks from a gameplay perspective: lack of story and sort of reskinning over multiplayer modes from other games, and really not having a uh, a complexity that a lot of PvP games tend to have these days, uh, and a complete imbalance on the Imperial Walker mode, and so on. Again, we'll go into it in detail at some point. But, and I did on the live streams, but people were coming out of the woodwork going nuts on him for daring to say anything negative about it. Mm
2: -hmm. Well,
0: and then you'd get into the criticisms and he'd go, we'd go into, he and I and others, we're going to specific things that seemed wrong with us. Like, well, you just haven't seen the whole game yet. Okay, but we just played a mode and that mode has these drawbacks. You want to address those drawbacks or you want to just keep saying, well, we haven't seen the whole game yet. Or you want to just keep telling us, well, uh, even though they told us that there's not going to be a story, Battlefront Battlefront games have never had a story. You're just wrong. Why are you expecting a story in a Battlefront game? B.S., Elite Squadron, Battlefront Elite Squadron had a story. Battlefront Renegade Squadron had a story. Battlefront 2 had story as a campaign to frame the missions that you went on in the single-player mode. This Battlefront does not. It is lacking something that those previous ones had. And people don't want to address that. They just want to say... No, Battlefront's never had a story. You're just wrong. Well, I'm sorry, but again, if that's your opinion, you're basing it on false information. Shut up and get your facts straight, then come back and let's have an intellectually honest discussion this
2: time. Well, the other side of that for the people that are not realizing that you're being intellectually dishonest is that. You become a yes man to the point where eventually you're the broken record and everybody already knows what you're going to say. You're going to say how great it was, how awesome it was and how much you liked it. We know. okay, yeah, nothing's changed. You don't even need to say anything anymore because you've proven all you have is the one trick pony. And, you know, that's where I think, you know, people end up getting to that point where they're like, well, I can't have any kind of conversation with a person like this because they're not willing to even be open to the conversation. And therefore the conversation, which should have been fun, is something you're now avoiding. You just turn around and walk away. There's no point in even engaging in this conversation because – Part of the idea of having a conversation and a good debate is to try to persuade the other person to see things the way you're seeing it and to get them to come around to your way of thinking. Well, if you've got someone that's so dyed in the wool and staunch that they are not going to change their way and their way is the right way and every other way is wrong, there's no point to have that conversation. And you're just basically wasting their time and your own time because you cannot be – Open to the realities of life, man. There, there's just so much going on. It is okay to be critical of things. Comedians, you know, people, people are like, Oh, a hater's got to hate. Well, comedians make their living based off that realm of hate. They find ways to make satirical humor out of it. And, you know, you can either recognize it for what it is or just be like, Oh, you're just a hater. And, you're never going to understand that there's more to the world than your limited views.
0: Yeah, I think that that is something that applies. It's I keep bringing things back to politics, but I have a hard time understanding and appreciating those who are staunchly Democrat and can't stand anything Republican or staunchly Republican and can't stand anything Democrat because it's not a black and white thing. Um, I've always been someone who sort of vacillated back and forth depending on the issue, depending on the party. I think it's intellectually honest to look at a situation and look at individual viewpoints and look for a candidate that best fits whatever you find the most important of the viewpoints. But, I mean, I could watch – the I I tend to lean more conservative now in terms of at this point after eight years of a Democrat, I think we should have a Republican. Just like before that, after eight years of having a Republican, I would have liked to have seen a Democrat, but – not necessarily have it turn out the way that it seems to have in some respects. Um, but I'm kind of sitting there, and I can watch the the Democratic debate and see people that I could agree with on some issues. I can watch the Republican debate, find people whose views I can agree with to some extent. Um, but I don't get this whole knee-jerk must-be-one-thing-or-another. If you can't even recognize when the other side of a debate has a good point – then that's not intellectually honest either. Again, it's that balkanization, it's that factionalization where we've all sort of gone off onto our own little islands and now we've armed our islands and we're gonna start bombing the other ones. This brings us to some feedback, again, from Andrew. We got two more. Uh, this one relating to Princess Leia. That is the comic, not the character. Hey fellas. Just wanted to write in based on your review of the Princess Leia comic. I haven't read it myself as a caveat. In fact, after Dark Disciple, I've been withdrawing more and more into the Bantam era of the EU, rereading those stories rather than continuing through a publishing cycle that's losing luster fast for me. But that's why I'm glad for Star Wars Beyond the Films. As I withdraw into the Star Wars I love and wait for Rebels to return and, once it stops being a Clone Wars callback, renew my optimism, I can keep in touch with the goings-on of canon through you guys. My thoughts on the Leia comic aren't precisely original. They echo yours pretty closely. When you read her speech, let's take a moment to honor the Lost Souls of Alderaan, to honor Viceroy Bail Organa and Queen Bria Organa. My reaction wasn't Ice Princess or no emotion to the plebes, like the characters in the book, but like you, it was... Seriously? That's it? Everybody that died today and the only ones worth mentioning were your mommy and daddy, plus a vague offhand to the Lost Souls of Alderaan? What about, oh, say, Obi-Wan Kenobi, who gave his life to make sure these plans could reach us and we can all be standing here today? What about, you know, the actual comrades of all the people that are assembled at this ceremony? No, screw Pops, John Vander, Jack Porkins, Tyree, Biggs, and all the rest. This is all about Leia. If I were a rebel soldier, I wouldn't be ticked at her supposed lack of emotion. I'd be mad for her selfishness talking only about her personal losses when so many others warranted mention. Then I turn right around and chew out the a-hole rebels for their bizarre critique of emotionlessness instead of appreciating the practiced stoicism of a leader putting aside her personal feelings to lead their people. They complain about how she's holding together for them? I'm reminded of Spot from the 2009 Star Trek movie. But if you could believe that crew morale would be better served by my roaming the halls and weeping, then I will gladly defer to your expert medical opinion. Now, I haven't seen the scene in question, but I have to say, I think dramatizing a speech after the awards ceremony is a terrible idea. Like certain other sci-fi speeches, it's best avoided, as it probably couldn't be done justice or properly capture all the angles of considerations that it would realistically have in-universe. But certainly, I would never dramatize it like this. The emphasis, by name of her own parents, and yes, the rulers of the planet, but still, over the billions of others that died with them, elevating and singling them out is supremely tasteless from an in-universe perspective. And the lack of mention of the loss of the last Jedi Knight in the galaxy, to their knowledge, and the lack of mention of the Rebel losses are as head-slapping and in-universe insulting as a lack of a medal for Chewie. And for that matter, for Wedge and Key and Farland, or whoever New Cannon makes that Y-Wing pilot to be. What? Do they not qualify to be up in front of everybody because they didn't actually blow up the Death Star, only participated in the mission? Like saying, hey, if you were there storming Normandy Beach and got shot at, but didn't actually kill any Nazis during the charge, your name's not going up on the Veterans Memorial. So yeah, problematic as heck. Also, later, with Evan, when another pilot says to her, you really seem to be taking this loss hard, Evan... The loss of her frickin' planet? Yeah, probably taking that a little bit hard. I must say, though I refrained from writing in then, pretty much everything you liked about the Star Wars ongoing Marvel Comics initial story, I loathed. Particularly the, I have killed many fathers scene, where none of the dialogue sounded like the characters to me, and the existence of a pre-Empire Strikes Back Luke-slash-Vader duel, which is one of the few Legends mistakes I was glad New Cannon had the opportunity to avert, I loathed. I haven't even read Darth Vader, but with that potential exception, everything I'm seeing and hearing is leaving me singularly unimpressed with Marvel's tenure on Star Wars to date. Sincerely, Andrew Gilbertson.
2: Oh, Andrew, you always have some good points, man. Um, So, honoring the Queen of Alderaan, that was some weird angle for me as well, especially seeing the statues of them there. I was like, wait, where did these come from? What, what the heck is going on? And you would think that Losing Kenobi on the Death Star would have been some kind of rally cry. You know, all intents and purposes, we just lost the last Jedi that we know of. You know, we didn't even really know he was out there until my dad said, Oh yeah, by the way, Kenobi's still around. But you would have thought that that would have been an opportunity to create a rally cry around Kenobi. You know, the last Jedi is gone. You know, here we are. Cause Yoda never really did anything for the rebellion. Whereas Kenobi at least shut down the shields on the death star. Uh, but I don't know. That's That was one of those things that really threw me off right up there with the whole metal angle. That was one that drove me completely nuts. Um, you know, in fact, that's one thing that, that, The way that the comic went about Canon's view of the events after A New Hope, that's not so great. I'm not really caring for what they've done. I mean, it's almost like Leopold and Obama in the gun control after the uh, shooting over here in Roseburg in Oregon. You know, I mean, she's like, well, we just lost our Death Star, but now it's time to talk about my parents because they're more important right now wait what like th- there was so much about that scene that really just made me stop i mean it was always bad enough that during the episode of a new hope where you get to the end that Chewie's not getting an award no one else is getting award i still to this day i'm like why 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 are we doing that thank you adiwan for your revisited giving Chewie the medal but beyond that it's it's just one of those scenes that it was always weird and now you've got canon doing the reset and the new that you give us is almost just as bad as what we had before. I'm like, oh, this kind of odd. Okay, I guess I will just roll with the punches.
0: <laughs> yeah, we spent a lot of time in that episode talking about just how screwy that, that speech was. And yeah, it's just another instance of, as I said repeatedly in that episode, that's not Leia. Because I don't think Leia would have been that tone deaf to what she was talking about, uh, to who she was talking to. And yeah, I do wonder where that statue came from. Uh interestingly though, they have addressed the Chewy metal thing already. In the first regular chapter after the prologue set in the future, uh, of the book Smuggler's Run by Greg Rucca, same guy who's writing Shattered Empire, there is a scene in which Chewy is talking about the metals. Let me pull it up for you here. I grabbed the book, you can hear me flipping. Okay. It says... The Wookiee sighed, a low rumble, and gazed at the medal in his palm. On the humans it looked substantial and solid, fit to be worn around the neck. In his hand, the scale was altered, and if he brought his fingers together he could conceal it entirely. A pretty thing, hastily engraved in a stylized flower, meant perhaps to recall the emblem of the Republic. At its heart, a rising sun, halfway above the horizon. Both symbolized the dawn of a new hope in the wake of this victory over the Galactic Empire and recalled the Death Star's destruction. He sighed a second time, tucked the award into the satchel that hung from his bandolier of bowcaster ammunition slung over his left shoulder, and leaned forward on his seat to peer out of the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. So apparently the canonical answer is, he got a medal. But his medal is one that he would simply have held, so maybe he got it before, maybe he got it right afterwards, because due to the size difference between him and humans, putting it around his neck would have looked really insubstantial and stupid and taken away from the moment, apparently. Which, I guess is funny, because back in the original Marvel days, back in the Legends continuity, we had that story the day after the Death Star where we found out that the reason why they didn't put a medal on him in the Legends continuity was because it would have made Leia look lesser and stupid to somehow have to get up on a chair or something to put it around Chewie's neck, so she gives it to him immediately after the ceremony. So, they've addressed it. But only in passing in like a paragraph and a sentence in one of these books. It's against a young adult book. So a lot of the adult readers may be passing up.
2: I'll give canon one props on this one, though. I mean, that's a much better one than than the other version. Like, wait, Leia, you, you, you haven't watched the Queen Mom? She makes him kneel down when she knights him. Come on. Don't be so lazy. Chewie can bend down. Unless he's been doing daily burn like I have lately. And damn, it's really
0: hard to bend all the way down. But that's... <laughs> That's a whole nother thing. My, my thighs are killing me. Uh, although Daily Burn, really awesome folks. If you're looking for a chance to exercise and you want to do it in your own home, I've really been getting a lot out of it. It's not just a gimmick in the stuff that they advertise on Hulu. It really is helpful. Uh, last one here from Andrew going back to a comment made about Count Vidian in something we'd seen before. And he gives us a little more specific examples of how Vidian ties into a previous Marvel character. So he calls this one Count Vidian Round Two. Mark and Nathan, I previously wrote you based on your review episode for A New Dawn, pointing out the similarities that I saw between Count Vidian and Marvel Comics, or old Star Wars run rather than current, Bylert Valence, a.k.a. Valence the Hunter. I saw it as a slam dunk. You seem to think it was more of a coincidence. Having actually finished the novel myself, I want to argue the point one more time. Let me play out the points made previously again. I admit that they start out in the maybe coincidental range, but as they pile on, like the Disassociated Facts of a Michael Moore film, they form a picture that is harder and harder to ignore. In other words, even if it is patently untrue, this should at least get a lot of people to believe in it. Number one, a character whose surname starts with V. Number two, a cyborg. Coincidence, you ask? Well, what about his backstory? Number three, hates droids, albeit in Valence's case primarily those that are the province of his chief rival. Number four, became a cyborg to save his life. Still a coincidence, you say? Well, how about his actions in the story? Number five, initially appears to be perpetrating evil on behalf of the Empire, but ends up revealed with a separate agenda that puts him in opposition to his one-time allies. Number six, destroys a hospital to hide the secret of his pre-cyborg life. Now, even if you discount the odd-numbered points as tenuous connections, now, even if you discount the odd-numbered points as tenuous connections, These even ones mount up rather handily on their own. By the time you get to that last point, the parallels are pretty striking, but let's assume you're still not convinced. Well, how do these two characters meet their demise? Spoilers, of course. Number seven, a lake of acid figures prominently in the setting. Number eight, their death is based around a damaged, immobile cyborg arm doggedly clamped around the heel of another cyborg character. Come on, fellas. You can't tell me that's a coincidence. A V-name Empire-aligned villain with an agenda that diverges along the course of the story, who became a cyborg to save his life, destroyed the hospital where it happened to hide his past, and had a death scene focused around a massive pit of acid and a cyborg arm clinging to a cyborg heel. To me, that is indeed pretty slam-dunk. If Vidian isn't an homage, then he's a product of Douglas Adams' improbability drive. Sincerely, Andrew Gilbertson.
2: Holy Sith... Uh, Dude, you've proven a point there. Uh, coincidence versus precedence. In this case, I like to think that this is an idea that they're going to be doing from here on out. You know, make it one of those cases where they're taking what has been, refashioning it and putting it out in a new way. I'm okay with this. Um, you know, I know there are people out there that are really going to hate the feeling like, oh, you know, well, we're cherry picking everything from legends. We're just taking all these. There's no original ideas. I, I mean, you know, the precedence you set here, Vidian is all but that other character. And yet I'm okay with that because Vidian was a really cool character. I really enjoyed that character. Uh, I didn't remember the other character, so maybe that's part of why I'm more okay with it. Maybe the people that knew the other one are probably more taken aback by it. Um, but I'm okay with that. And I think in the aspect of because Legends aren't continuing, this is probably the only way that those characters will find new life. Um, you know, the, the Quinlan Voss angle, you know, yeah, it's the character and yeah, the character is similar, but he's also new. Um in this case it's it's definitely has that feeling of a new character where it isn't like how Voss was where you were just like, Oh, well we're just remaking him. Uh this one is is being reborn new character but they're taking all those personality and those traits from an old character and and refashioning them uh when we were at the uh star wars at delray panel at star wars anaheim you know they said they weren't going to be you know redesigning the galaxy um you know so that's one of those angles that i i think is kind of cool so if they can continue to do that uh i'm okay with that but you you're Man, you bring up a great case in that regard. There's way too many for it to be simple coincidence. Uh, homage, maybe, but coincidence, I think not. I'm convinced, though. Now I want to know
0: whether or not John Jackson Miller was doing this subconsciously, or if it was done intentionally. I'm very curious about that now. Um, just kind of, it's going to always color though. Now every time I see Vidian because he's being mentioned a lot in recent stories. And even got a chance to appear in a short story in Rise of the Empire recently. And now I'm just gonna see him and think of a character from, well, a TV show that ended just a few months before I was born. Uh, the character of Frederick Stubbs or Freddie Stubbs from What's Happening? Whose name in the show was? Rerun. He is Count Rerun now. <laughs> Now, we're getting kind of close on time here, so we do have some things from Jamison Glass or Jamie Glass that we're going to take a look at in our next episode. We're going to go ahead and cut it after this next message. He sent a bunch of stuff that was audio, which will make a nice listening experience, of course, for you as we move to the next one. But we did promise you at least one audio one in this episode. So we have one coming in from someone who sent in about a six to seven minute audio clip here. Uh, this is from Anthony Madden.
1: And he says, Hello, Nathan and Mark. First off, I'd like to say thank you very much for always making an awesome podcast that I really, really enjoy. With that said, this is in reply to the Star Wars Beyond the Films episode 174, Rogue Transmissions. I was a bit taken aback, not offended, mind you. A wise man once said, Do not be quick to take offense, for the taking of offense lodges in the bosom of fools. Etc, etc. Anyway... You guys went on to talk about, you asked the question actually, why do people bash the prequels? And in your answer, you said things like, I think it all comes down to what people expect from Star Wars. From those who grew up with the classic trilogy, it was always something mythological, archetypes, etc., etc., but the prequels were to be a tragedy. You also said that it was a tonal shift in the prequels that rub some people the wrong way. You went further in saying, it was very different than what people expected. And you finally said, that the prequels emerged into the burgeoning internet fandom culture. And of course, they would be heavily criticized. So the prequels were in a kind of a no-win situation. You also said, I kind of think the prequels, or excuse me, I kind of think the sequels will be the same thing due to internet fandom. Really? It wasn't really about the expectations for the film being too high that doomed the prequels, especially The Phantom Menace to failure, failure in the sense that many people refused to actually watch them. But actually, when you said that, it reminded me of the second most culpable person involved in the making of the prequels, Mr. Rick McCallum. He's at the very same thing in one of the making of, of documentaries on the Phantom Menace DVD. So let's say this. As you like to say at least once in every episode, Mr. Butler, of Star Wars Beyond the Films, let's be intellectually honest. Actually, we could turn Nathan's use of the words odd and intellectual honesty into a drinking game. Anyway, try some synonyms. Strange, unusual, peculiar, puzzling, or honest, truthful, sincere, unhypocritical. Stop fooling ourselves. But I digress. Now, being honest allows me to say this. The prequels were terrible and measurably so. Still... I'm glad they were made, and I can enjoy them for what they are. Ah, honesty. So refreshing. Like a glass of water on a hot summer day. Now, the books of the prequels were much better. The Revenge of the Sith novelization actually being a masterpiece. In fact, I go back and read it, or listen to it, at least once every year. But the movies, all of them, were pretty bad particularly The Phantom Menace. As for my love of Star Wars, I think I've read every novel besides the Darkness Trilogy and the Black Fleet Crisis. I just couldn't make it through those books. Anyway, see if you can do any intellectual acrobatics to disclaim these points. Number one, plot. Sum up the plot of The Phantom Menace in one sentence. Yeah, exactly. No, the story was too convoluted from start to finish. Number two, acting. What were the standout acting moments in The Phantom Menace? Well, I can think of a standout acting moment in about any movie I've seen, but not in The Phantom Menace. The acting was so poor, we only quote lines to make fun of it. Heck, It even made Samuel L. Jackson look like he was an amateur on The Electric Company. Compare his Mace Windu to his Nick Fury. Number three, excitement and suspense. Do you remember the original Star Wars Trench Run sequence? Everyone does. It was amazing. It let me experience a wide range of emotions from sadness and despair to excitement and joy. Compare that to the attack on the droid control ship. Any edge-of-your-seat suspense? Any real sense of despair or danger? Not at all. And that had nothing to do with it being a tragedy. Period. So just on those points, if the plot were more concise, the acting better than an elementary school play, and the scenes presented a real sense of danger, then the fans would have loved it. So here's my challenge to you Nathan, and by association, Mark, since J.J. Abrams is ten times the director George Lucas could ever dream to be, I stand here to say that the new movie, The Force of unlike The Phantom Menace, and even though there is a big thing called Internet Fandom and Trolls, will be the film all Star Wars fans have been waiting for, regardless of the Internet. Yes, regardless of the Internet. The place that has deluded all of us into believing that everyone's opinions are just as valid and have equal weight as everyone else's. Yes, I'm looking at you, Miss Jenny McCarthy, don't vaccinate your children advocate. So, if the Force Awakens receives the same type of disdain, or even a similar type of disdain, that the Phantom Menace received. You, Mark, you, Nathan, will be receiving gift cards in the mail from me to take yourselves and your lovely and supportive wives out for a lovely dinner at a family restaurant near you. Let's see what happens this Christmas. Thank you again for the wonderful and informative podcast that keeps me informed and entertained. Keep up the great work, and may the Clorians be with you.
0: Alright, so let's try this here, uh, though... Let me note here that I would not agree that all of those synonyms are actual synonyms for intellectual honesty. There's a difference between regular honesty and telling the truth and so forth, and the concept of intellectual honesty, which is sort of a, a philosophical stance, a compound word, if you will, there. But uh because I'm able to form sentences using dependent clauses, unlike Chuck Wendig with Aftermath, I think I can sum up at least most of the plot— Of the Phantom Menace in one sentence. The Sith manipulate a local dispute, comma, putting Queen Amidala of Naboo in danger, comma, into an opportunity for Senator Palpatine to attain the position of Supreme Chancellor, comma, while Jedi involvement inadvertently leads to the discovery of powerful child Anakin Skywalker, comma, who is left to be trained by Obi-Wan Kenobi after the death of Obi-Wan's master. Now, does it mention Jar Jar? Does it mention the Gungans? No. Does it mention Darth Maul? No. But that's a general plot thread. I'm not saying that the plot of The Phantom Menace was strong. I don't think the plot of The Phantom Menace was strong. I think The Phantom Menace was, and i I said this before, it's basically a prologue to the rest of the films. It sets things up, but in and of itself doesn't have the strength to often carry itself. I do believe that, yes... There was a lot of hype about that film and what it was meant to be. Uh, look back at any number of the articles of the day and the speculation about what to expect out of that film. Uh, I think in particular of ones coming out about 6 months before because I did an analysis of those at one point compared to the realities of the film itself back when I was doing a a it's it kind of a newsletter thing um online around the same time I was starting the timeline uh and getting the first few editions of that out um called Holocron ramblings, where we talked about this to some extent and and sort of took it into bits and pieces. Uh, I don't think it necessarily met those audience expectations. That was part, though not all, of the issue for it. I do believe that you don't see the level of criticism of anything considered a classic now that you do with newer things because newer things are being released while the internet exists as this sort of echo chamber While things that are already considered classics have gone through their time of heavy criticism in many respects, uh, and almost moved into academic criticism in the case of Star Wars, before that type of culture erupts. Uh, Do I believe that we are going to see the same thing with... The Force Awakens. Depends on where you're looking in that conversation for when I was talking about there being the same thing. Do I believe that there are high expectations for the film? Yes. Will there be some fans for whom this does not meet expectations? Yes. I would particularly say that anyone who is a huge Legends fan who wanted to see certain things in this film echo Legends are probably going to find disappointment when things are not. There are expectations versus reality in the case of anything. I'm not sure that anything fully lives up to the hype. Uh, Battlefront being a great example of a very overhyped game. Aftermath being a very overhyped novel, neither of which appear to be meeting those expectations except to the sycophants. Um, I actually go into this in detail if you've checked out the article that I wrote in Movie Magic about The Force Awakens, talking about how there are differences in the way that the films are being approached now versus the way they were approached when the prequels were being made, and how it bodes better for this trilogy than for the prequel trilogy. But it's a question of what are the audience expectations and it will not be able to escape internet-based criticism. Did I say that the movies are going to suck or they're going to have the same perception as the prequels? No, I did not. You're sort of missing the point there. What I said was they're going to be caught up in the echo chamber. They're going to have their detractors. Um, you kind of miss the point of the internet culture thing. Um, as to being the film that all Star Wars fans have been waiting for, I can tell you up front that that's not the case, because there are a lot of Star Wars fans who don't want to see this movie existing because of the fact that to make it, Legends had to be put aside. And there are a lot of fans out there who are diehard prequel fans who are heavily critical of the original trilogy, who don't want to see another film with original trilogy characters in it. They'll go see it, they'll enjoy it because it's Star Wars, but is it the film they've been waiting for? No, because it's not what they would necessarily have been asking for. It depends on the audience that we're talking about. To your particular segment of the audience, then perhaps this is the film you've been waiting for and you're not going to be affected by the internet echo chamber and so on and so on. But we're talking about a very broad fan base and we're talking about a large number of moviegoers who are outside the Star Wars fan base who will still go see it and media that now stretches across into not just professional reviewers and such, but into, again, sort of that, the, the social media menagerie, so to speak, that's out there. Um, I do expect that they're going to get harsher treatment than the original trilogy did, and yes, we're going to see reflections of the same types of things we ran into with the prequels. Will they be as heavy? It depends on the quality of these films, which I agree, as I say in movie magic should be higher because the approach is being taken by those behind the scenes, because of J.J. Abrams, because of Lucas being less involved, because of not having someone that's a yes man like Rick McCollum on the scene to not be the brake pedal as George Lucas is heading for the wall. Um, I kind of feel like some of the things that were said were not either not perceived correctly or taken out of context to get that perception, but that's what we were saying, or at
2: least that's what I was saying. Mark? You know, there there's some aspects here. The, so one, if I was to put the plot of The Phantom Menace, I would say bodyguards saving a queen from a Sith plot to put themselves into power. <laughs> uh But I think the big difference for me when I think about A New Hope versus The Phantom Menace is The Phantom Menace or, – or to say – a New Hope, it stands on its own. The Phantom Menace is a total setup. You know, The Phantom Menace is like book one in a trilogy. Uh, kind of has that aftermath feel where you're like, what the heck's really going on? Where A New Hope, it had more of a standalone feel. You know, it was like, that was the movie. And then they gave you a sequel based off of that. Whereas The Phantom Menace wasn't really set up to be a standalone. It was only meant to kick off a trilogy. And it always felt like... The third book in that trilogy was the total payoff. Like everything was leading towards that, uh, and so I think like that—that's a big difference between the tones of those two trilogies. Um, you know, you, your second one was the acting standout moments in the Phantom Menace. I would have to say that that Liam Neeson playing Qui Gon Jinn had all the standout moments. Um, you know, I think I think his character for me was the one that really held the movie. Uh, the other standout moments in acting would be, uh, you know. Ray Parks playing Darth Maul doing the acrobatics, you know, not really his vocal acting, but his physical acting. Um, the excitement and suspense, again, that's Maul. Maul brought all of it and he wasn't in there that long. Um, the aspect too, or Nathan's talking about the Internet being such a hodgepodge of different people. The one that jumps up to me the most are the fans, the Trekkies that hated J.J.'s Trek. Um, you know, that was an odd one for me because my dad was a Trekkie. I was a Trekkie. My brother-in-law is a Trekkie. Me and my dad watched it. We both liked it. My brother-in-law hated it. Did not like what JJ did. Uh, and so there are people out there that are just, they're fearing the fact that JJ is tied to this at all. They're worrying about all those lens flares, all those kind of things. Uh, so there's so many angles at play. I hope everything turns out fine. Everybody's on that same boat and loves it. Uh, but I've noticed with my fandom, you know, I, I have loved a lot of things that are popular and everyone loves them. And then I love a lot of things that I am the minority. And typically when you're the minority, it's not until like you're looking around and you're like, what, really? I'm the only one that likes this. What the hell? Are you guys blind? And then you realize crap. I'm the minority. Uh, but I hope that it's going to come out fine. But again, you know, I had that same hope with the, with, the Phantom Menace and, and the prequel trilogy. And yet the public opinion is that that wasn't a stellar trilogy. Um You know, that's not necessarily my opinion, but it seems to be the more popular public opinion out there. And I hope that that's not going to be the case with this new stuff. Uh, I think that it probably won't be the case, but yet, I'm trepidatious enough to still kind of lean that way of, well, oh, it might easily. I mean, it could go either way. You know, there's so many factors to to rely on and, and calculate in here and, and factor in. And, you know, it's I, I wish I could have a view in and I could be like, yep, yep. I called it from the start. But I'm really just guessing. If I may do some quoting here.
0: The Force Awakens brings back screenwriter Lawrence Kasdan, this time working on the script with director J.J. Abrams. Two generations with a love of Star Wars working on the script, and a longtime fan and new generation of director at the helm. Ellipses, right, skipping forward. Here's a director with a strong pedigree, a penchant for lens flares, which he assures fans will not abound in The Force Awakens, and a decades-long love of Star Wars. George Lucas loves Star Wars as his creation, but we never see our own creations the same way as others do. As he once put it, one of the downsides of creating Star Wars was that Lucas could not experience it as an audience member and have that type of relationship to the material. With Abrams, the saga has a director whose love of the subject is not just as a creator, though that is a role he now inhabits, but as someone for whom the original films were revelatory and expiring. One can expect to see that devotion to the source material and desire to do right by the saga and fans reflected on the big screen in episode 7. He's already won the respect in that regard by emphasizing practical effects in making the film in the vein of episodes 4 through 6, rather than the near-exhaustive reliance on CGI in episodes 1 through 3. Even the film's new droid star, BB-8, the beach ball with a head, was created physically, a point proven as it appeared rolling around during the recent official Star Wars convention. And essentially jumping to the end, Disney will get their money's worth, and so will we. Uh, the Force Awakens, thoughts on episode 7, Movie Magic Magazine... The current issue, uh, article by yours truly. So uh, if the impression is that this thing is expected to be a mess, no. But I would say that it's going to get a different reception than the originals did because of the context in which it's being released. I do agree on many points about the prequels. I do agree they were weaker. I do agree that the novels were stronger, though more so episodes two and three than uh, Terry Brooks for episode one. But I'm not going to jump on the prequels are garbage train, and I think that the same type of message, I think the same type of argument could be made by someone who loves the prequels to pick apart the original trilogy as well. It's all a question of the perspective from which one is coming, and I think if we are talking intellectual honesty, we have to acknowledge that one can make the argument uh the other way as well, although perhaps with a bit more difficulty. Yeah, a little.
2: Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, 2nd Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only if you post comments to us about the show we love interacting with you fellow fans so if you have any Star Wars slash Legends or EU questions or you just want to comment about a past episode fire off you can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible Trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash StarWarsReport, you can get a free book from Audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Legends universe or the canon one or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months. That's one year with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook. Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds.
0: That'll actually be getting the Star Wars Timeline Gold's new edition out on time today since
2: we've recorded this episode and are about to record another. Or well, what are the odds that everyone sits down to watch the Force awakens, and they go but what if it sucks?
0: Dude, I would just prefer them to sit down and watch The Force Awakens and say, oh, I did turn my damn phone off.
2: (laughs) Please remember to silence all cell phones and keep the screens the hell off.
0: They need to have a new button on Facebook. I think if you post that I'm posting while I'm watching a certain movie in the theater, not I'm at the theater about to see the movie, but I'm walking out of the theater after seeing the movie, but actually saying I'm watching the movie right now. There needs to be next to the like and upcoming dislike button. There needs to be a you button. <laughs> <laughs> <Just> click. click. <laughs> You even have the. You already have the like being a thumbs up. All you need's a middle finger icon. It can't be that hard.
2: <laughs> or like a steaming pile of poop.
0: <laughs> there you go. There you go. Or a, or the letter U made out of a steaming pile of poop. As in, you
2: are a piece of shit. <laughs> nice. SWB on films. Hey, but enough about how we got here. And right on your own Facebook. Jesus. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 187 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast. Your. Wow. How in the f did I do? I did the exact same thing last week, didn't I? One minute. Remember when I said I was setting up? I was not setting up right. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was not doing it right hold on as i adjust something this shouldn't be too long damn it (laughs) because i'm not gonna ad-lib it's too early i can't i can't ad-lib this early in the morning i'm sorry birthday boy (laughs) copy go back Um, paste okay now I delete the duplicate that I mean and bop. all right that's right Whistler. welcome to episode
0: because I'm a rectenna dish now right the new one it's hip to of course, there goes the f- speakers going on. I don't know if you can hear it, but I can because of the f- email. I, I don't, but... Because <laughs> I don't know if it's on the recording or not. My brain just went completely blank. I had something else. going. Okay, yeah, no, I know what it was. So basically, where there's a... F- so basically, where there's a will of the force, there's a way to wet f***. Son of a bitch! <laughs> Sarah was pointing out the other day that please turn off your cell phone. Ah! My, I'm tripping up my words. said flown. I don't know what that is. I can also emphasize. Infa, yeah. I always get emphasize and empathize twisted when I try to say it out loud. I know what they mean, dammit! I just can't say it! And yes, yes, uh, uh, there's the. The uh the you just used a stereotype in how you said that. I've actually whoops, sorry. Turns <laughs> so, out. So so before you flubbed that for a second, you were wondering what kind of <laughs> virgins people are after. Yeah, I was, oh, that didn't okay, work. I'm just I'm just making sure because I heard that and my my head like wait, what did you say?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want that version of the virgin because her version is. fuck there.
0: All right, man. Load your weapon. Oh, 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 oh! That was no. That just took us way, 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 beyond. <laughs> way beyond. I'm sorry, but that's oh That's twice now that this episode has caused me to think of a of Monster Squad. One was "Let's try it again, shall we?" And then the other part being the uh, the uh, "You're not a virgin, are you?" Well, Steve, but he doesn't count. Doesn't count. <laughs>
2: Wolfman's got nards. What do you mean, Wolfman's got nards?
1: <laughs> <sighs>
0: I think that was probably the first casualty for me in the long chain of casualties. That no causality. Excuse me, casualty. No, no. Yeah, casualty than causality. Dang it. Okay, back, but I got to plug my headphone in. I want to add to that, and I'm about to hear a whoo because something's with our toilet because I just had a piss. I fixed it, but now I fixed it so that it goes, that <laughs> <laughs> Like, it isn't running constantly, but now it'll run and then, like,
1: Whoa.
0: Is it the and very like, last Whoa. second before the water yeah. stops? Let's take a moment to honor the Lost Souls of On... Onderon? Yeah. Not Onderon. Alderon. All- Onderon is where they have beasts back in Tales of the Jedi and, uh... And, and in recent time, apparently a bunch of clones because they use the same freaking character models over and over again on Clone Wars. <clears throat> Pretty much everything... Oh, sorry. I, I'm... it's a really small print email, so I'm having to kind of squint towards it. But if I squint towards it, the microphone's going to be all up in my mouth. <laughs> pull up! Pull up! Right. <laughs> a pretty thing. Hastily engraved in... Uh, <laughs> holy sh- s***. <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> Release the Kraken! <laughs> no kidding became a cyborg to save his life. Still a coincidence. Holy s***. Somebody must be moving outside because it just went... Yeah, that was loud. I heard that one. (laughs) Good (laughs) lord. You just lost the floor, man. <laughs> I can only hope it's the people upstairs moving out because they're the ones where the lady that moves up there tailgates all the time to get through the gate and, and the guys are not only loud uh, in the middle of the night, which I'm sure I was at sometimes whenever my wife was working you know, midnight shift, but constantly we walk into our laundry room to get our laundry out and as long as it's after about 9 o'clock at night, that whole room is, is like a Cheech and Chong fest because the entire thing smells like weed from all the marijuana they're smoking upstairs. <laughs> that is beside the point. Let's go back to the email.
1: <clears throat>
0: okay, I'm I'm trying to see, I'm, I'm it's another one of these really tiny print emails and I'm having a very hard time seeing it. But if I zoom in, I lose part of the email on my screen. Bummer. Ow. I moved my arm down and it hit my headphone wire about pulled it out of my ears. Ow. Okay. <laughs> And essentially jumping to the end, Disney will get theirs money.